Let me invite you to take your Bibles, please, and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Sometimes you'll hear uh, said in a sports context, and probably you hear it maybe a little bit more with football than some of the others just because so many times it's needed, Uh, but the phrase is next man up, right? Somebody gets hurt and someone asks the coach, you know, what's going to happen? He said, well, we're just, you know, next man up. We just have to have someone step up and, and get involved in it, which is, uh, I mean, it's obviously a great way to, to view it and to approach it. Um, I don't think any of us would think that that means that the guy who just went down is unimportant, right? If, uh, you know, if, if uh, Jared Goff gets hurt and, and Dan Campbell goes, next man up, probably nobody's going to go, like, big deal. Right, everyone's going to go. What else can you do? Right, somebody else has to step up. You can't go forward. And my my point is to try and help us see that when we when we say something like that, we're not saying that the players are unimportant or don't matter. I mean, obviously they do. What we're saying is the team is the big concept. Right, that that the reality of it is. The team needs to keep playing. The team is why these players play. It wasn't actually about the player in the first place. Right? And, and, and that analogy, I think, has some bearing on what we have to wrestle with what Paul's doing. Because the Corinthians are all about the players. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Right? They're making all the emphasis on the players. And, and because the players are not the most important thing, they're actually calling into question the importance both of the master and of, if I could use it this way, the team, the church. Right? It's, cause it's not really about Apollos. It's about Jesus. It's not really about Paul. It's not really about Cephas. It's about the Lord and his work. Those are the most important things. And so Paul is going to begin to correct them very directly. I mean, he's already, he sort of put his finger on the problem. When you do this, it's fleshly. When you do this, you're acting like people who don't know the Lord, mere humans. And it stunts your spiritual growth because you're so far out of line with what the scriptures teach about this. Your party spirit, when I say that, like as in think Democratic, Republican, Libertarian party, don't think like New Year's party, right? You're subdividing the church into cliques and groups. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. That is fleshly thinking, and because it's really rooted in your selfishness and disregard for the Lord, it's going to block your ability to grow spiritually. You're stuck at milk, and and you're not going to grow 
until you recognize how wrong that is. So Paul, I mean, Paul has been really straightforward about it. But now he turns the corner to go, not just that's wrong, but help them see why it's wrong and actually ought to what ought to replace it. And that's what he's going to do through, through much of the third chapter, which we're going to begin looking at this morning. So look at verses 5 through 9, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So, so the first part of verse 5 really sort of sets the agenda for the next few verses. And it, it raises really what the, the verses are about. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? So he's asking a question that we could frame like this. How should we view the players? What is Apollos? So what is Paul? I mean, really, you know, you've got this idea about what they're like, but what really, how should you think about them? What is Apollos? What is Paul? And he answers that question uh, in, I think, a very clear way. And if, if I could give you sort of like the summary statement of it, then I'll try and drive it into the text why we have that. I'd say it's simply this, is that the, the answer is God's servants, right? Apollos and Paul are God's servants simply doing their assigned tasks in the Lord's work. What is Apollos? What is Paul? They're God's servants simply doing their assigned task in the Lord's work. Let me show you where I, I get that from in the text. You can see the first part of it right at the beginning of verse five, or as soon as you hit the second question mark in verse five, here comes the answer. Servants, right? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. The word chosen here for servants, as you may, I'm sure you know, the New Testament, the Bible was not written in English, uh, is translated into English in the New Testament from Greek, and Greek uh, has different words for the word servant uh, that sometimes our English translations uh, aren't really consistent. One of them is the word from which we get the word deacon, and that's this word here. Another is the word that translates slave or bond slave. Uh, that's not the one here, right? And, and so it means a servant or sometimes someone ministering as like as in they're serving. They could be serving tables like Acts 6. They can be serving the word. In this particular case, Paul says, all Apollos and Paul are, are people who are serving, right? They're servants. They're doing a work given to them by somebody else. Now, clearly he's, as I said last week, 
Uh, it's really, he's sharpened in the focus to the conflict apparently between the, the uh, Paulus group and the Paul group. But I think we can say what uh, he's saying here actually extends to all of us because the word translated servants, right, is the word family in Ephesians 4.12 that says pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for the work of service. That's this word. And 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, as each each of you has received the gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And the word serving there is the word family for this. Right, So it's not just, and in, in, in what we've got to constantly fight against is the tendency that came into, and I'm going to put it in air quotes, Christianity or Christendom, to subdivide people into two categories, clergy and laity. And the clergy are those who are set aside for ministry, and the laity are just like the people have to go about normal life. The New Testament knows nothing of that distinction of ministry, right? So, so the reality of it is every believer is to be equipped for ministry, for service. Every believer has been gifted for ministry or service. There's no distinction in terms of that quality, It's service, whether it's someone doing it vocationally or doing it as a volunteer, it's service. It's doing the ministry that God has given us to do. And he's given all of us some ministry to do because everyone who knows Christ has been given a gift to be employed in ministering to one another, in serving one another. So how should we think about believers and those particularly who might rise to the limelight, so to speak, right? That, that, that maybe because of their giftedness and role and responsibility, they have some position of leadership or influence should we actually think of them as more the minister of Christ than somebody else? I don't think so at all. Because that's how you end up with, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. That's how you end up with people clustering around going, so-and-so's church or so-and-so's whatever. The fact is, The church is Jesus Christ, and we are all servants of Christ. He's the head of the church. So so he's establishing this reality that that we should think of those, if I could put it this way, who are on the team as servants, as servants, because that's what we are. And notice I said doing their assigned task. Look in in verse 5. Right? He says, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. And it might be that some might uh, look at, join that to the first part, right? It says, servants through whom you believed. 
And some might take that as even as the Lord gave opportunity to believe to each one, but I don't think that's the point of his statement at all because look what he does in verse uh, six. I planted and Apollos watered. So, so he's saying this is Apollos and Paul are just servants, dot, 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 with assigned responsibilities. They each have their own responsibility. I planted Apollos watered, right? He's, he's talking about the, 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 the role that you play, the responsibilities that you have, the resources which have been entrusted to you all come from Christ. So, so wherever you are, the thing you're supposed to be doing is the thing that Jesus gave you to do. And that's the satisfaction of it, right? And we live in a world that is always pressing on people that they need to pursue some larger platform or have some greater venue for their, their ministry, become an influencer the way it is our day. And, and, it, and it completely, I think, starts to undercut the reality of it's the Lord's work and he assigns us the task that he wants us to do. And we'll see in chapter four, the standard for us is faithfulness, right? Because most of us should not trust our heart enough to be able to tell the difference between building a platform and making a name for myself, right? That, that people love adulation and sometimes can actually make it look like they're just trying to expand what they're doing for Jesus when, when they're making a name for themselves. And Paul says, hey, this is actually about the assignment We've been given a task to do. In their particular case, verse six says that Paul was a pioneer church planter and Apollos had followed along where planting had happened and was watering it. And so uh, I've said many times, so bear with my repetition of it. This is not the passage to talk about evangelism. Paul is not saying, I planted the seed of the gospel and Apollos watered it, but God caused the growth. He's not talking about the gospel here. He's talking about the church at Corinth. I planted the church, Apollos watered it, but it's God that causes the growth. Because look at what he says in verse nine, right? He says, you are God's field, God's building." Right? So when he's talking about the field or agriculture, he uses a metaphor of planting and watering and growth. When he says, you are God's building, the very next thing, look at verse 10. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. Right? So planting, planting and foundation laying are parallel to each other watering and building on the foundation are parallel to each other, All right? And the key is, is that the thing that was planted, 
the foundation of which was the church, the congregation at Corinth. And we know that from the book of Acts because Paul was at Corinth for a year and a half preaching, establishing the church, and he leaves. Guess who comes to town? Apollos. So Apollos was building on top of the ministry that Paul had had. He was watering the work that Paul had already done. But it wasn't Paul that caused the growth, and it wasn't Apollos that caused the growth. It was God that caused the growth. They just had a job to do. They had a task that was given to them by the Lord, and they needed to fulfill that task. And if, if you even think about it, it can't be evangelism because if Paul planted and then Apollos watered, but God caused the growth, that would mean no one came to Christ under Paul's ministry, right? He just planted seeds. But what does he say in verse five? What are, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, what? Through whom you believed. So Paul didn't just plant seeds, he actually harvested, right? He saw people come to Christ. He says in chapter four, you might have many teachers, but you have only one father through the gospel. So, so Paul's not talking about the process of evangelism. He's talking about the establishing of the church at Corinth. Paul had a specific task as a pioneer missionary, and that was to go to places where Christ was not named and proclaim the name of Christ, see people come to Christ, be baptized and formed into assemblies, and then he would help in the establishment of spiritual leadership. Just read Acts chapter 14. That's what's happening. That was Paul's job. And when Paul was done with that job, he said, I have no more room. I'm going to the next place. That's what he says in Romans 15. But Apollos was someone traveling among the believers, extending the gospel, right? Because he says, through whom you believed. And Paul, Apollos was standing up powerfully, refuting those who were opposing the gospel. He was showing from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Apollos was having a very fruitful ministry, the one God gave him to do. Paul had an assignment Apollos had an assignment. There's not supposed to be any competition or comparison between them. They're doing the job that God gave them to do because that's what servants do. They do what the master wants them to do. And the same thing I think would extend out to us, right? We have assigned tasks based on our gifts based on the roles and responsibilities that we have, based on the resources we have. And the real issue is that standard, right? Even to the point, let me take the resources for a moment. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8, that the standard isn't actually what you, uh, what you give, it's what you have. Right? So, so the reality of it is, you know, if, if God, God gives you just a little bit more than what you have to have to survive, and you take that seed that He gave you and you sow it, God's pleased. If God in His providence gives you way more than you need, like most of us in America, he gives you way more than you need. 
and you give that to the Lord, some of that to the Lord. The standard is what you have, not what you don't have. Right in Jesus, Paul's just unpacking what Jesus did in, in the Gospels when he watched people coming up to the treasury to drop in gifts. And he points to the, the widow and says, she gave more than everybody. He clearly didn't mean the sum because she didn't give more than everybody else in terms of the dollar amount. She gave more than everybody else in terms of what she had. That's what Paul's saying. It's the standard is what God has given to you. Right? That's the standard. So, so you view that as a servant. God has given me resources to use to serve him. God has given me gifts, right? Abilities to serve him. He's given me roles and responsibilities that I carry out as his servant. That's how we should view ourselves and how we should view other people. If somebody has more resources, either uh, materially or even giftedness, right? Because I tell, I tell guys in, in preaching class, I teach the first preaching class, and I say to them, usually every semester, right? These guys that are like the superstars can, can break all the rules, but you're not him. Right? You, you know, John MacArthur could spend 30 minutes talking about the, the design on the Corinthian pillars and make it interesting. You're not John MacArthur. Right? You're not John Piper. You're not C.H. Spurgeon. Your goal isn't, isn't to try and imitate these guys that God has given these enormous platforms to. Your job is to do the task that he gave you. Use the gifts that you have. If that's one talent or two talents or five talents, God knows what he gave you. Make the most of it for his advantage. And you know what? The exact same thing applies to every one of you this morning. I mean, we have people in our church that I look at what they do in terms of teaching children. I think, man, they are incredible. God's given them enormous gifts and abilities. They ought to maximize those to their greatest advantage. But you know what your standard is? Are you using the gift you have? Right? Because if you sit here and go, well, I can't do that like them then you've got the wrong standard because you have what God wants you to have. And if you see yourself as a servant, then you are ready to serve him and just die. Okay, get this very clear. Just die to anybody's assessment but Christ. Right, that's the reality of it. At the end of the day, the only opinion, evaluation, assessment, judgment that matters, the only one is when you stand before Jesus Christ and you want to hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful 
servant, right? Because he's our master. We're just servants. We're called to do his work. And that's how we should view it. When we look in the mirror or when we look at anybody else, we should recognize that that's the standard. It's God's servants doing their assigned tasks in the master's work. And that's clear. It's the master's work because look at the end of verse six. But God was causing the growth. But God was causing the growth. And that doesn't deny, right, that God uses human instruments to accomplish his purpose. Because in verse five, it said, right, it described them as servants through whom you believe. Right? And, and so this is, again, important for us to understand because it, 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 it helps us balance the way we should view things. It is God who does the work, and God has chosen to do it through human instruments. Right? That's, that's, that's his plan. And, and it's in the infinite wisdom of God. And I, I want to say this as carefully as I can, right? But... You know, I could probably come up with other plans, right? In the book of Revelation, there's going to be angels flying around declaring the eternal gospel. We we know that God could broadcast the gospel without our help, right? He could just speak from heaven. But God has chosen to tie his work to human instruments. How can they how can they call on someone they've not believed and how can they believe in someone they've not heard and how can they hear without someone to tell them? Right? God's chosen to do it that way. So so that means that this being a servant isn't something that we turn around and go like, well, you know, I mean, who wants to be a servant? Servants stink. It's actually We're the servant of God most high. We're the instrument that God has chosen to accomplish his eternal purposes through. And so we recognize that it's God who is at work through his people to accomplish his purposes. And and that's, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, all of us can probably think of somebody who really made a difference in our lives. And they did it because God used them. So as the recipients of that, we rightly would look at that person and thank God for them, right? We would express to them how grateful we are for what God did in our lives through them. But it should be we're looking to the one who used them and giving praise for how he used them. And what was going on at Corinth was God had sort of drifted away. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Right? And, and when we start to attach names to churches and ministries as if that person is the source of the blessing, 
We have forgotten that the source from whom all blessings flow is God. Yes, praise God, Paul planted. Praise God, Apollos watered. But it is God who causes the growth. And if we start to worship Paul or worship Apollos, we have completely missed the point. If our hopes are on Paul and Apollos, we've fixed our hopes on weak and frail vessels. Our hope is in God because God is the one who's doing the work. Christ said, I will build my church. Paul would say, I will boast of nothing except for what Christ has accomplished through me. It's the work of Christ that matters. We have to recognize that. We are conduits of his grace. So we should offer ourselves daily as living sacrifices. We should show up, right? Punch the clock. I'm on duty today. I serve a God who's active. I serve a God who wants to accomplish his purpose. And so I'm showing up. I'm his servant. I have things that he wants me to do today. Because God works through people to accomplish his purposes. All hands on deck. Right? Every part of the body functioning. That's why that division between ministers and lay ministers or between people who somehow have some way to serve God better and above everybody else and everyone else just dabbles in it. That effectively says the hands don't need the feet. The lungs don't need the heart. We can live with part of our body. When the scriptures call us to every part participating in, but God is the effective worker. So we embrace our responsibility in a spirit of reliance. Right? I, uh, I, I try to work hard at preaching and teaching because that's my responsibility. But I know that my words will just fall flat to the floor if they're only mine. Nothing, nothing of lasting spiritual good will be done in your life unless the Spirit of God does it. Right? But, but I can't go, well, well, only the Spirit can do it. So, hey, I'm just going to stand up there and fling it, right? I'll just start talking and the spirit can do what he wants. No, it's, it's responsibility with reliance, right? I need to do the responsibility that God has given me and I need to do it with absolute reliance on him to work through it. And you are no different than me. Your conversation with your coworker to talk about Christ is your responsibility that needs to be done in reliance upon Christ. Your task of being a, 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 a source of encouragement or equipping or exhortation to a brother or sister in Christ is your responsibility. The command was given to you, exhort one another daily while it's called today. God told you to do that. 
lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Can I stop that heart from getting hard? No way. So my responsibility must be done with reliance on God to do it. Because he's the master and I'm the servant. This is his work. I'm a worker. I go about the task that he's given me to do. Now, Paul draws some implications out of this. I just want to show us in the text. They come in verses 7 and 8. The first is that the church and all ministry should have a God-centered focus. Look at verse 7. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. So, relatively speaking, the human instruments don't matter. Okay, and I know that can come, come hard, but look at it, it says... So neither the one who plants or the waters is anything. Now, I said relatively because we do need to understand that Paul would say, like, for instance, in Philippians chapter 2 about Epaphroditus, that you should hold such men in high regard because they risk their life for the work of Christ. Paul's not opposed to recognizing the sacrifices that people make, the faithfulness of people, But when you put that in relationship to God, we're nothing. Because apart from him, we cannot do anything. Epaphroditus risked his life, not because of something flowing naturally out of Epaphroditus, but because he had embraced the gospel and believed the promises of God. God enabled Epaphroditus to do that. So we're not going to make such a big deal out of Epaphroditus that we forget about God. I mean, I guarantee if Paul, you know, somehow Paul showed up at our church, like we met him, I mean, I'd be like, man, can we sit down and talk? You said some things that are hard to understand, and I'd like to get the the, the first interpretation out of it, right? Tell, tell me about what happened. Report to us the grace of God. That's what he did in Acts. Right? We, we would rightly go, that's Paul. And Paul would be going, that's Jesus. I won't boast of anything except for what Christ did through me. Right? And we have got to recognize that that's the case. The church should not be about human instruments. It has to be about God. And we cannot... We should not exclude appropriate honor and respect, but that does never leave room for celebrity and respecters of persons. I, mean, I was talking to my grandkids today because, uh, you know, I, for some reason, I've been in the same place as famous people a bunch of times. I mean, you know, I mean, I was in Norm Cash's living room while he was watching Hee Haw, and, you know, I, I, uh, I was eating breakfast next to, Hall of Fame baseball players. Back when I was in college, I sat next to Barry Sanders on an airplane from Detroit to St. Louis. I've been in the same elevator with that. I mean, just all kinds of them. And I was talking about it, and and they said, well, what, did you say hi to the guys? And I said, no, I didn't. It actually came up because one of the Bulls from their championship team, I was in the Olive Garden with them in Chicago. Like, did you go talk to them? I said, no, I let them eat. Right? Because because they're they're people. They're famous, yes. But they're people. 
right? If I was going to ask Barry Sanders for an autograph on that flight, it would have been on a check, right? Because that's the only autograph I would have really cared about. I mean, I, the reality of it is it's, 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 you can admire them, appreciate I mean, I think Barry Sanders is the greatest running back I've ever seen in my life, right? That, that Hall of Fame set of baseball players, Jim Palmer, Jim Rice, I mean, those are like some of the best players of the 70s sitting right there. And I was like, man, those guys are all good. But like, they're, they're just people too. And I've had the opportunity to meet some really famous preachers that have benefited my life. And you know what? They're people too. I've met some incredibly, incredibly godly, faithful believers that people have never heard the name of. But you know who knows their name? And those people are just as important to him as the guy who speaks to 10,000. Because it's God's work. And God needs the glory to come from us to him in order to keep our hearts lined up the way they ought to be. Look at the end of verse 8. Okay, the servants should live a high regard for their personal responsibility and accountability, right? Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. All right, so the church must have a God-centered focus. The church and its servants need to have a focus on our accountability and responsibility. That is, we have a job to do and the reward will be tied to the job we have. Remember, Jesus illustrated this at the end of his earthly ministry. He says, Peter, come on, I need to talk to you about what you're gonna do. And Peter goes, what about him? Right, he points to John, what about him? And Jesus says, what, what does that matter to you? Right? My, my job for John is my job for John. You've got your job, Peter. Right? And how many times do we sit around thinking, well, if I just only had whatever, or if I could have this, or I could have that? No, God's given us what we need to do, need to do the thing he wants us to do, and he's going to hold us accountable for what we have, not what we don't have. Right? Sometimes people lose all of their joy in serving Christ because they're looking at everybody else. And in our culture, we think actually that's always tied to titles and positions. And it's not. It's tied to task. Right? What have we been given to do? And should we carry that out? Instead of, well, I want to, I want to, I want to be more involved, meaning I want to get some position or title. Like there's, there's actually almost no limit to how more involved people can be because it's the use of their gift for the benefit of the body. It's actually tied to the needs that you see and are aware of, and you can move toward those needs without any title. In fact, if we were probably closer to the New Testament, we'd be pretty much titleless. 
right? We're just followers of Jesus trying to carry out his work. We have jobs to do. We like to tie those to titles. We like to think of them as positions. And, and we really need to think about it as tasks for which we will be accountable. Look at the beginning of verse 8. Here's the unity part of it, right? Now Hugh plants and Hugh waters are one. In other words, Paul's saying, you guys are putting a divide between Paul and Apollos that is artificial because Paul and Apollos have the same mission, right? My job is to do what God gave me to do as Christ is building his church. Apollos' job is to do what God gave Apollos to do while Christ is building his church. We actually are one. There's no artificial divide here. My job is to go in and plant, Paul says. Apollos has come in to water. I came in and laid a foundation. Other people are building on it. The foundation is Christ. We are united in the mission of Christ. And that's what ought to happen if we're all servants. Right? It's like all the servants going, well, you know, I think I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's like, no. He tells us what we do. He calls the shots. And we just pick up our towel and do what he gave us to do. And if he happened to gave, give some other task to someone that you really wanted, I can sympathize with you, but not to the point of not doing anything. Right? At what point can we go, you know, Jesus, I really wanted that. So since I didn't get that, I didn't do anything. How do you think that's going to fly at the Bema? How does that line up with, I shed my blood for you, and you wouldn't pick up a towel that was, you know, six by six because you wanted one that was 12 by 12? You thought that job was below you? Like, like, have you read the Gospels? What I did in humbling myself to obedience, even to the death on the cross, and that job was below you? Now, let me be honest. Jesus is not as snarky as me, right? He's meek and lowly of heart. But I think sometimes it would be good for us to think about it when we're thinking, well, you know, why would I have to do that? Well, it's because Jesus wants us to do it. <laughs> That's a good enough reason. That's a good enough reason. And look at the foundation of it all, verse 9. Three times the word God's is in this verse. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul is trying to show them that the servants are God's and they're fellow workers. And that really probably would be clearer. We are fellow workers of God, right? They're not fellow workers with God. We are co-workers and we're God's co-workers. Because everything he said has been, I'm planting, I'm a pot, I'm, you know, he's watering, God's causing the growth. You guys are putting a divide between Paul and Apollos and we're co-workers. We're not competitors, right? We're not. And that's, uh, I mean, that's just got to deeply seep into us 
right? We're not in competition with God's servants. That's why I detest, I mean, you know, hopefully I'll detest it to the day I die. I mean, I wrote like 60 pages on it back in the 90s for our seminary journal about the danger of adopting a marketing mindset in the church because marketing is always positioning a product against other products. And when you market the church, you're positioning it against competitors. And I've never seen a situation like that where it actually isn't ending up being our church is better than your church. And if it's a gospel preaching church, we are not putting ourselves in competition with the Lord's servants. Instead of being people who are called to the same task, right? We ought to love our church. We ought to think our church is great. But if we think that looking down our nose at other churches, that's pride, right? We're not the thing that matters. Jesus is the thing that matters. It's his church. It's his work. We are simply servants after Christ, the co-workers, not competitors with the task in the task of God. The servants are God's. Look at though also you, and that's second person plural, all right? So occasionally we, we need to deal with the fact that in the English language, I can say you to an individual, right? I can look down at my wife and say you, or I can look at this whole side of the auditorium and I can say you, right? Because that's English has that kind of flexibility at this stage in the game, right? This is you are God's field. You are God's building. He's not saying to an individual Christian, you're God's field, you're God's building. He's saying, you folks at Corinth, the church of God at Corinth, you are God's field. You are God's building. So when someone says, I'm going to take my part of the field and wrap it around my desires, I'm of Apollos. And another group says, no, 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 this is what we're going to be. I'm of Paul. And another one says, no, 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 we're this, this is it. I'm of Cephas. And then you get the really spiritual ones. I'm of the Lord. But they're all pitting against each other, subdividing God's field. They're forgetting who they are. It's God's field. We cannot, we cannot ever reduce the view of the church to the way we view the rest of human society, right? You pick your political party and they start to rally around their particular candidate and they start to angle to get influence and power and, and it inevitably leads to differentiations that sometimes are positive, most often negative, and they, they try to push and pull because they want power. And that's exactly what's happening at Corinth. It's really not about Paul or Apollos or Cephas. It's about the person who says, I am. 
because they want the power of influence. They want to craft the church into their own mindset instead of being submitted to the master and his will. That's what was tearing them apart. And Paul confronts it and says, cliques are carnal. Celebrity chasing is carnal because it dishonors the Lord by focusing on our desires over his and by exalting the servants over the Savior. And that kind of disunity, to tie it into the start of the year, absolutely destroys prayer. Right? I firmly believe that too many Christians will never pray with other Christians precisely because they haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ over the church. Right? They, they have ideas and ambitions. They have resentments. They have dissatisfaction that they're not prepared to lay down because this is Christ's church. And what he wants is really what matters. Because you can't pray of one accord if you're actually not of one accord. It destroys power, prayer, which then drains the church of power because prayer is the access that we need to the grace that God has promised to us. And so the Corinthian problem is a human problem. And it certainly is a contemporary problem. May it not be the case. When you think of Intercity Baptist Church, I hope you will think of it as the Church of God, which identifies as Intercity Baptist Church in Allen Park, or the Church of Jesus Christ, which he is building in Allen Park that it is about him and we are just his servants. And so, how how well are we serving? The resources that have been entrusted to you, the responsibilities you've been given, the role that he has for you, are you stepping up, stepping up to that and saying, Lord, by your grace, I want to have the dirtiest towel possible because I want to follow Jesus in the path of service. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us to recognize how much you love the church, that this is, this is not a human organization. It's a divine organization, a life-giving organism that has been made alive by your power through the word, the work of your spirit to take us from our lost condition and place us into union with Christ and fellowship with one another. There's a spiritual bond that must be there. So help us to see that and to see that we are called to follow Jesus in the path of service. And when we make too much of any human, we dishonor you. 
We are grateful today. I'm grateful for so many people that have invested in my life, made a difference. People known to others and then people that no one would know except for you and me. Thank you for them. I rejoice that they were obedient servants that pointed me to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you might help us to be willing to be that in the lives of people around us, to die to the kind of ego chasing that our culture wants us to chase after, to make a name for ourselves. Help us to see that it really runs close to the fear of man, that we want to have the approval of people. Help us to long to be pleasing to Christ. And Lord, we're grateful that you use people to bring others to faith. And I pray even as we, as a church, that we will see people needing to know about Christ and realize that your work will flow through your instruments, not around them. May we announce the glory of Christ and help them see that sinners can be saved by grace through faith, and it's not by works, so that no one will boast that you are a gracious God and our Savior's death is powerful to save. Lord, we ask that this year the gospel would rule in our hearts and run from this place into all areas of darkness that we encounter, shining the light of your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.